1: Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem-solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. the studios, studios. Are it's Mackie and Judd. TCL, America's
2: fastest-growing TV brand. Now launching, Mackie and Judd. We'll we get things rolling with the opening bell. Want to Ring the bell. Brilliant, with short motion as Brady takes the snap, back in the pocket, throws a lob, score sets wide open, touchdown Patriots, in the left corner of the end zone! Wrong to the right, Michelle behind again. Devlin, counter handoff, Michelle runs it no, right, to the 10, angling right to
0: the 5, to the pylon, diving, touchdown Patriots! Breeze under center, drops back, he fakes, he's going to throw into the back corner of the end zone, caught, Keith Kirkwood, Keith Kirkwood checks in, and a two yard scoring strike! on fourth down for the new orleans saints their second conversion of the drive breeze drops back throws
1: and zone touchdown mike thomas from two yards out and the saints take their first lead of the day here's the questions you want to ask yourself Right now, if you're an NFL organization and you need a quarterback, do you want Nick Foles or do you want Kirk Cousins? What's the answer? I'm willing to guarantee you that more teams would lean towards give me Nick Foles because we all know this league's about championships. Coaches get fired because they don't win enough in a short period of time. You've got a guy that literally has taken your team to the, to the top of the mountain and then to the, basically starting that climb in back-to-back years. And Matthew Collar. That
3: was Dan Orlovsky today. When asked by Greeny, on is it wake up, get up, get up, don't be so tired. <laughs> who the who the uh, quarterback of choice should be if it comes down to Kirk Cousins, who of course is the Vikings quarterback, or Nick Foles, who's going to be a free agent. And I want to start Matthew Collar with the final four teams that are left in the National Football League playoff tournament. Okay, offensive rankings. Chiefs number one, Rams number two, Patriots number five, Saints number eight with Drew Brees. The Vikings, by the way, if you look back at the 2018 season, were number 20. Defensive rankings. The Vikings were number four. Very good. The Saints number 14, the Rams number 19, the Patriots number 21, and the Chiefs number 31. So I will pose this question to you. When you look at the teams that have had the most success and will be in this tournament into the Super Bowl this season, Where does the Vikings offense in your mind stack up, and what can be done for the 2019 season to get it into a place where it can have a fighting chance to be playing right now?
1: Well, the answer to where they were versus these teams is not even in the conversation, not even in the ballpark, nowhere close. The only reason that they were around is that they ranked fourth in defense, that they were in a position to win on the final day and get in. And, of course, they didn't do that because their offense didn't show up. But I'm not certain that Vikings fans really realize how effective the Minnesota Vikings offense really was. That you know, I think when we see Kirk Cousins put up those numbers, we think, oh well, you know, if he just gets a little help here or there, or just does a little of this or a little of that, get a right guard, and they should be fine. Let me tell you, under the best metric that I know of, that gives you a grade on offenses, and the teams in the Final Four rank one, two, three, and seven in this in this number. So if you've got this you have a good chance to go to the Super Bowl. Scoring percentage. You get the ball, how often do you score? The Teddy Bridgewater Vikings 2015 had their best number under Zimmer. They were seventh in the league that year under scoring percentage. The comparable offenses to the Minnesota Vikings this year in scoring percentage... Cincinnati Bengals, Detroit Lions, Tennessee Titans, New York Jets, Washington football team, and the Oakland Raiders. Those are the teams that were near the Vikings. They were 23rd. So they were nowhere close to being a good offense this year. So what is it going to take to get them anywhere near the Kansas City Chiefs? The answer is a lot. Okay, but what's it going to take? So so instead of instead of
3: saying that they can possibly copy those teams, teams like the Ramster Chiefs, which is probably far-fetched as far as copying them, and instead of sitting here and all acknowledging that Cousins probably isn't the quarterback that the Vikings hope to get. What can be done to get this offense to a place where, and and this is, listen, until Mike Zimmer is fired, this is going to be the, the philosophy at TCO Performance Center in Eagan is going to be defense first. So acknowledging all that in a constructive way, what has to happen here to get them to a point where they are in a position to be playing at the same time that
1: they were in 2017. So I'm conflicted on this because the Chicago Bears ranked 19th in scoring percentage and they were a doinked field goal away from being in New Orleans. Now, I don't think that they beat the New Orleans Saints, but you know maybe their defense puts on a better performance than Philadelphia and they end up holding down the Saints and making it to the championship game. I think that we all could have plausibly seen that happening considering how good the Bears defense is so there is a part in my mind that says you know what I don't know if your offense is getting a whole lot better a right guard is not making you a decidedly better offense than it was this year my so my thought here the hot take might be yes either two two hot take potentials get another wide receiver or two and try to get Kirk Cousins as many weapons as he possibly can so no one can be double-teamed on third down, or just keep investing on defense and try to be the team that can stop these teams. That's been the Vikings' plan. It doesn't usually work, but every once in a while it works. And it's just until you change quarterbacks, how are you going to be one of the best offenses in the league when you have these other quarterbacks and their offenses are so much better? You're going to have to prop
3: this quarterback up as much as you potentially can, and I don't know if you can prop him up, up enough to be consistently among the best teams. Here's my thought if you are Spielman, though. You have to take a good, long, hard look at, at your offensive line, but I think the mistake that we and fans make is we're all like, yeah, go get a great offensive line. That's not going to happen. There's, they Those type of players are not available via the draft to this team or in trades. What you can do is strengthen it. You can get better players there. But those are going to be guys who, if the Vikings sign them or acquire them in trades, it's not going to be like, yeah, they got that guy. It's going to be like, who? And then you're going to find out potentially that that guy is simply an upgrade on what they had. The other thing is, from a coaching standpoint, and this is going to begin with Kevin Stefanski, is how creative can you get as well? Because you do see, and this is not every down by any means, but if you watch games on Saturday or Sunday, and certainly you watch the best offenses or smartest ones operate, you do see creativity at times where you say, all right, I never would have thought of that, but it's really smart, and it's going to work for at least a period of time. So I think that this conversation that we're having right now, Collar, is as much about probably nuance... More so about nuance than actual splash. Fans want splash. Splash isn't coming. But if subtle adjustments and nuance comes, once again, I am not saying that this offense can be fantastic. But it can give you more of a fighting chance to play deep into the
1: playoffs than they had this year. The question is, how much better would you have to get and how do you get there Well, also maintaining a defense that's going to be great? I mean, there's a potential for losing Anthony Barr, who's a free agent. There's the potential to lose Sheldon Richardson, who's a free agent. And you can't just replace players like that super easy. I know that Anthony Barr doesn't have flashy numbers and he doesn't have flashy pro football focused numbers, but Mike Zimmer brings up a great point with Barr. His intelligence level and his versatility, the number of things you can do with him, makes a huge difference. You can play all sorts of different defenses. You can make on-the-fly adjustments. He's one of the ones calling out the shots out there. I mean, he's a big deal in this defense. And if you have to lose him, it's not so easy to put somebody else in. For a couple games, we were like, hey, Eric Wilson, not too bad. And then the more you saw him, the more other teams took advantage of him. And with Sheldon Richardson, I do think that his production is replaceable. Probably if you had a duo, someone to be a run-stuffer, somebody to have a pure pass rusher, you could probably cover that. But he's a really good player, and it's not easy to just snap your fingers. So if they lose them, and you're still talking about being a really good defense, but not maybe the Chicago Bears this year, maybe not that dominant defense that puts you in the category of a team who could dominate purely with defense your way through the, the playoffs... You're going to have to get quite a bit better on the offensive side. And it's just, I mean, yes, a guard's going to help. Yes, another wide receiver is going to help. But the question that's going to be just the hardest one, and we have to keep asking, is how much do you have to do for Kirk Cousins? When you start to say for an $84 million quarterback, well, he's going to need three great receivers, probably another tight end. He's going to have to have Delvin Cook healthy his whole year. Oh, yeah, and he's going to have to get a really good offensive line. Well, how is any of that going to happen with it makes the it money very that they have to spend.
3: Yes, it's very tough. But you have, to, you have to at least give that defense a chance to consistently succeed. That defense, I believe it was for about the first four games or so, was not that great. And we all said, well, what's wrong? But if you look at that defense, I think post-Rams game, that unit got really good and played really well. Yep. And that unit is not why you missed the playoffs. So the conversation that I think you have to have with with Zim as well, Matthew, is you got to sit Zim down and say, okay, you are a fantastic defensive coach. Who do you absolutely need, and what areas can you get by with? Because when you can take Holton Hill, who's a nice player, but a, a rookie who was not drafted, and develop Holton Hill into a very serviceable to good player, I think what you need is candid, complete truth from Mike Zimmer about defensively, what can you get by with here, so that we can at least take some of our cap, which of course is invested heavily in the quarterback now, and invest that in other offensive components.
1: Well, so What I end up getting to, Judd, is should the Vikings go extreme on something? Should they just keep trying to be good on both sides of the ball, really good on defense, keep the talent they have, or should they go all in on one thing or another? So you have three star players on offense, but could you get to 5 in terms of weapons and improve at the guard position. Like how could you do that? Could you trade a cornerback? Maybe it's not always the best idea to trade defensive backs because of how valuable they are, but then you would be going all in on this offense. You spent all the money on Kirk Cousins Say to Mike Zimmer, look, you're going to have to scheme your way to the 10th best defense in the league, and we're going to try to be a top-five offense because top-five offenses are winning. Those defenses are all over the map. I know. And they made some plays. They did. I mean, of course, Kansas City made plays to shut down Andrew Luck, and they pressured him. But part of the reason is they were at home. And the Rams did the exact same thing, and
3: that's not a great deal. It's got some big names, but it's not a great defense.
1: And the home team's all won, And that's kind of how it usually goes. Every once in a while, somebody pops up and surprises us. They go 9-7, and and they sweep their way through the playoffs. But it's been a while since that happened. Generally, you get these home teams that are good already. Being at home helps their defenses just off the bat. If you can win enough games in the regular season to be at home, you've got a great chance to go to the Super Bowl. So it's just, could you scheme your way to the 10th best defense and then... Sign, trade, that's and my, draft your way that's my
3: to a top five offense. The one thing that's extremely important, though, in this discussion, and this is going to sound absolutely asinine to say, but I believe it to be absolutely true, is under the scenario that you're talking about, coaching is going to be, offensive coaching is going to be extremely important because you cannot allow Cousins to sabotage you. Yep. And if Cousins thinks that he is an upper echelon QB and things start to go well, he will sabotage you. So that's another another part of, of this and I keep going back to it but it is cousins as the puppet string quarterback which is you use his god-given abilities to your advantage but you do not turn him loose mentally because the second you do I think you're sunk. And I And that sounds absolutely crazy for a guy who's being paid like her cousin.
1: It's true, it's true although. Now let me let me try to go the other way on that because it looked like in the second half of the season that trying to contain Kirk Cousins and keep him from giving the ball away did just as much damage as it did good. And it was it was Mike Zimmer desperately trying to get them to not turn the ball over and not throw pick sixes and not have strip sacks. But those things still came. I know. They came against Seattle. They came against and- the Miami Dolphins. So if you just assume, I mean, we're, we're going completely off the map a little bit here, but it might be worth it. If you're assuming that Kirk Cousins is going to make these mistakes no matter what, it might make more sense to fill ar- around him with as many weapons as possible, as good of an offensive line as possible, mm-hmm. and hope that your defensive head coach, the reason you hired him was to be a great defensive head coach, could go uh, enough or could do enough with his scheme mm-hmm. to go all in on offense. And think about this. Like, if you, let's just say you traded one of the starting corners for another second round pick that you could use on another weapon, let's just say, right? Mm hmm. You, can you fill in Mike Hughes? Can you fill in Holton Hill? Can you fill and in I think the answer has some to be other yes.
3: free agent? I think the answer has to be, Mike, I, you have to do it.
1: I think so, too. I, I I think that the only way the Vikings can really be a legitimate contender next year yep. is to go crazy on the offensive side to stack it up as much as possible. And when you look at the Rams are the best example because Goff and Cousins are similar quarterbacks, Yep. I think Goff is better, but similar in the way they play. They're, yes, I mean, the guy's got weapons all over the place. He's got a good offensive line. He's got two wide receivers who are great. When Cooper Cup is healthy, he's got three wide receivers who are great. But he's, they find he's other. He's getting
3: the play call from his head coach until fifteen seconds are left on the play clock.
1: I, I kind of think everyone's doing that, but yeah. No, I think he's being guided. No, well, I think you're right. I think that's I think changed. Right. I think teams well, figured that out right. a little bit, and I think that changed. But in McVeigh, there
3: is a there is a reason in my mind why Cousins in the second half went downhill. And there is something that the Vikings can do, and I think they're in the process of doing to fix that. And I think the Vikings are going to be spending huge at one spot. We'll we'll tell you next. Mackie and Judd today is Zolgad, Collar, Manny Hill, Jonathan Harrison. The last day is 1500 ESPN. That's right. The
2: Mackie and Judd Show will continue in a moment. So long, losers. On 1500 ESPN. Jackie and Judd are back. You're about to make a whole lot of people around here real happy. Live from the TCL Broadcast Studios on
0: 1500 ESPN. All right, let's check traffic here in the TCL Broadcast Studios. This traffic update brought to you by the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society, 94 Westbound. We've got a traffic incident reported. Not sure exactly what's going on there, but it's between Cedar Avenue and Highway 55, And uh, it's adding a couple of extra minutes to your commute. Otherwise, everything else around the metro moving uh, smoothly. No crashes to tell you about yet.
3: Football. Ah, The football hour for at least today has reset itself. Instead of 5 o'clock, at 3 o'clock. Zolgad, Matthew Collar, Manny Hill, Jonathan Harrison. All right, Matthew Collar. Our guy Pelissero broke some news today on Twitter, which I found to be very, very intriguing as far as our discussion about the Vikings offense goes. And it's the one area in this league where there's no salary cap and you can spend as much as you absolutely want and it doesn't matter. It's coaching staff, all right? Gary Kubiak, a Super Bowl winning coach who has coached the Houston Texans and Denver Broncos and an offensive coordinator, former backup QB in the league for years and years, supposedly or was reportedly, I should say, not supposedly, was in town today to interview for an unknown job with the Vikings. Stefanski just got the OC job. So this would presumably be for my guess is like quarterbacks coach slash head coach, some type of offensive title. So I'm thinking about cousins. What made cousins in my mind sort of freak out as as the season progressed was he knew in his heart and it doesn't take much to know that his head coach really can't stand him. His head coach, he can't, and it's not just him. It's, it's, QBs. He can't. Mike Zimmer can't put up with them. He hates kickers and quarterbacks. And that's perfectly clear to anybody who spends any amount of time around Mike. So I think what happened was the Buffalo game changed everything. And the Buffalo game was such a disaster, and Zimmer couldn't contain himself that Cousins basically sort of mentally just freaked out and thought, oh my God, I can never fumble again. If I fumble again, I'm going to be in so much trouble. And, and I don't think Kirk is the most headstrong guy. I think he wants you to believe that he is, but he's not. So if you get Stefanski, young offensive mind, Kubiak, old school guy, quarterback for a long time, knows QBs really well, and you basically make Kubiak and you pay him $2 million. I don't care what you pay him, but you pay him really well, and he basically holds Kirk's hand. And you you tell Zim, Zim, you know what? If you have something positive to say to Kirk, that's great, but besides that, don't talk to him. I think that that might be the path that they're going to go down here as far as trying to milk what they can from Cousins by getting essentially a positive influence who knows offense, a veteran guy, and Stefanski around him.
1: I'm not sure about the Zimmer part of this. I mean, as far as how he feels about Kirk Cousins, I think it's telling how little he will say when he's asked about him. That he isn't defiant about Kirk Cousins. Remember when... A friend, Ben Gessling, broke some news about Teddy Bridgewater's shoulder during a preseason game, and Zimmer freaked out and got super angry. Mm -hmm. Like, that's how defensive he was of Teddy Bridgewater. And with Case Keenum, he would hammer him, but it was almost like, don't you say anything bad about Case Keenum, but I will. You know, that sort of thing. Like, don't you dare say anything bad about my kid, but I'm going to say it. Um, But with Kirk Cousins, he just has nothing to say. It's like, hey, uh, how do you feel about Cousins' performance this year? Well, you know, it's a team game. (laughs) Like, uh, okay. So, you know, I I think that he does realize what he's dealing with in terms of uh, a frustrating quarterback for how he wants to play. If Case Keenum's wild man gunslinger mentality drove him crazy. Imagine what Kirk Cousins' hesitation and things like that, lack of pocket presence, fumbles, interceptions at times that are unexplainable. Imagine how crazy that drives Mike Zimmer. And that's, I think, why he doesn't want to say anything and why you would bring in uh, Gary Kubiak as well. And also the part of it is he knew that Keenum could handle it, and I, I know that he has to be in the place where he, if he criticizes Kirk Cousins... He's gonna lose Kirk Cousins, and if he loses Kirk Cousins, he probably loses his job because they go seven and nine next year or something like that. So Kubiak makes sense from that perspective of having someone who was a quarterback and has worked for them for a long time. But it also it reads a lot like bringing in Pat Shermer when you don't believe in North Turner anymore, right? Yeah, sure. It, you can go down and, that path. And this isn't absolutely a, this isn't something they've done yet, but it's just a conversation about yes. Gary Kubiak and, and interest. I mean, Kubiak has a career as John Elway's backup and a coaching career where he's helped quarterbacks maximize every bit of talent they have. And our friend Sage Rosenfels played for him and loved playing for him. And it would be a very positive addition, I think. But sometimes when things go wrong, egos get in the way. And when you've got someone who's way more qualified as your quarterback coach than as your offensive coordinator... Like, how does that dynamic going to work if this is what they do?
3: I think it would be um, privately, quietly co-OCs. And the Kubiak point that I'm trying to make is... And again, is, is that going to work? I don't know. But you know what? What we saw in 2018 didn't work. And I do think that we saw enough from Cousins to know that Kubiak's real title would be Kirk Cousins' hand holder without a question. I think he would come in and hold his hand. And I think he would tell him he's great, and I think he would work with him. And it gets back to, I think that he, Kirk Cousins needs a position coach to put him in a complete position to succeed. Kubiak has a pretty impressive career. Yes, and and if you were to bring him here, you're talking about paying him north of a million dollars to be a position coach, which is only going to be in
1: title. So how weird would it be, though, that you name Stefanski the offensive coordinator, instead of Gary Kubiak because you're not sure that you could get Gary Kubiak at that time right he was su- supposed to go to Denver and then and something fell, fell apart. apart with Vic Fangio yes when you look at this guy's history as an offensive coordinator he seems like the type of guy that you would want i mean even 2014 he's Baltimore's offensive coordinator yes and at that like Joe Flacco hadn't completely fallen off yet but there's still a very effective passing offense at that point point. and with Houston and Matt Schaub I mean, they were top ten. They were top five. They were number one in the NFL once in passing. This seems like the guy you'd want as your offensive coordinator, and right. not your quarterback coach. And it just seems like a very odd dynamic if that's what you're going to do. And I think what Zimmer's thinking might be is, well, we had Tony Sperano, who was an offensive uh, coach and who was a head coach, and then I he had was a position OCs coach before, that's right. right? But that doesn't mean it's going to work with everybody. And I think there is some risk involved in bringing in someone else with so much experience and such a ridiculously good resume as a Super Bowl champion and a head coach and years and years, multiple Super Bowl champion with uh, with Denver as their offensive coordinator in the late 90s. I mean, that kind of resume, if you're Kevin Stefanski, a guy with that kind of resume is underneath you? That seems weird.
0: I wonder if like the whole Mike Shanahan zone run blocking scheme thing is part of this too, though. You know what I mean? Because Zim is, keeps talking about, he wants to run the ball, run the ball, run the ball. And I wonder if he's bringing Kubiak in to sort of incorporate like more of a zone run blocking scheme because he thinks that that can be more effective because he wants to run the football more anyway.
1: Yeah. You might think that that, would be something Stefanski wanted to do anyway, from right, what we saw right. against Miami especially, but the way they ran at the end, they were well, using that. How much
3: How much real faith, let's cut through the BS of the press, uh, press conference and things like that, Matthew Collar, how much real faith do you think Zimmer has in a 36-year-old guy who's been a position coach for lots of positions, but they passed over a year ago? Because this, to me, does seem weird, but... Things sure didn't work this this season, and and the thing about this is the Vikings have appeared to make weird dysfunctional moves under Zim on offense before, and he's comfortable doing it. I don't think he
1: cares. and He wants what he wants. If they were to bring in Gary Kubiak, as is being reported, there's a potential for them to do that by our friend Tom Pelcero. If they were to bring in Gary Kubiak, wouldn't it scream, hey Stefanski, you got like four games? You got like four games to get us going, or eight games at most, as the offensive coordinator. And if you don't, we're going to hand it over to Kubiak. And that is a freaking tough position to be in, isn't it? I mean, looking over your shoulder like that, assuming that the next guy might take your job, if you hire Kubiak, it screams, this guy will be the OC by weekend. They've nine. got,
3: if they do this, that they will internally be co OCs. There's no doubt in my mind. It will start that, that way. Stefanski won't get fired unless he quits. If they bring them both in, though, Kubiak will be brought in specifically for Cousins' purposes.
1: I feel like I'd want to, if I were Stefanski, I'd want to rip up the contract that they brought in Gary Kubiak. Just be like, if you're not even going to let me... Yeah, but you signed it! I, but this would be like... You signed it! And only if only if it's his decision, which it, I'm certain wouldn't be, for the quarterback coach to bring in Kubiak. If there's some previous relationship or whatever else it might be. But otherwise, I, I think it's just has the potential to create a conflict where there doesn't necessarily need to be one. And it's almost like hedging the bet, voting no confidence on Kevin Stefanski right from the very beginning mm-hmm. to hire someone with this. This is not somebody who's just been an offensive coordinator before. Oh. This is a multiple super bowl. But you know champion what this but you know what this goes coach. back to? This goes back to what I've been, And offensive coordinator. This
3: goes back to what I've been saying for weeks now, which is Mike Zimmer in reality does not consider himself to be the head coach of the Vikings. He considers himself to be head coach slash defense and Gary Kubiak would become head coach slash offense. And Stefanski would essentially be the OC for Kubiak.
1: So now if they do this, does it end up looking like they sort of panicked and hired Stefanski right away and then realized that Kubiak was on the market and they wanted him more?
3: No, I think what this says is, is they wanted to keep Stefanski. They like him. My guess is Rick likes him more than Mike, and so Spielman said, let's give him a contract, two years, which they did, and Mike said, okay, think about it. Mike Zimmer, if you go through a lot of the moves that have been made by this team, a lot of them are Rick gets what he wants first, Mike gets what he wants second. I'm serious. Doesn't this whole Sheldon Richardson? Right? They signed Cousins, and you think to yourself, Mike Zimmer, this is a red letter day in Vikings history. You've just made the splash move. Mike Zimmer looked as disinterested to me at the Cousins introductory presser as you could possibly look, and we then found out that oh, but by gosh, guess who was coming in? Sheldon Richardson, and Mike looked like a kid in the candy store.
1: A lot of this. This is just dysfunction, but it's interesting. Yeah, it it has a feeling. I would have argued against dysfunction for even 2016 in a lot of ways because they lost Teddy Bridgewater and that just threw them into such a bizarre and unprecedented situation where your franchise quarterback doesn't just go down for a year. He looks like he might be out for life and then you don't know what to do. And you've got to go find another quarterback who's under contract for the next year and all those things. And then the offensive line completely breaks down and whatever else. So I would have figured, okay, losing like that and that many bad breaks will cause dysfunction. And then last year, they pick it up and they go 13 and three, and everything seems to be in good shape. But now we're in such an odd position again, now at, seemingly after Pat Shermer left, and then bringing in Kirk Cousins, mm-hmm. that I think pressure can make teams do a lot of things that they shouldn't pressure from the outside, pressure from ownership, expectations. And even when you look at the Kirk Cousins decision, like maybe if you were extremely realistic. Like going hardcore realistic, all of us predicted who looked at the numbers, I'm talking us, Pro Football Focus, Courtney, everybody, said 13 wins probably ain't happening. And when we sat in here before the season, we said the Rams are way better and the Saints are way better and the NFC is pretty tough. Now, the NFC wasn't as tough as we thought, but it was pretty clear that there were other teams way ahead. And if you were being completely realistic, you would not spend the money they spent on the fifteenth best quarterback in the league because you just can't win without throwing okay. the ball really, really well. I think that's obvious. But this franchise, as you know by now,
3: is desperate, panicked, and at their wits' end to find a quarterback. But that, and that's and, my, that, and that's, point. that's on Rick. That's my point. Rick, Rick desperately. It's why the day that Cousins was brought in for his introductory presser, Mike was like, "Okay, that's fine," because this is all Rick. This is Rick. Just desperate. It's Rick Spielman is not a bad executive, but his inability through bad luck, bad drafting, bad decisions to find a quarterback is going to be on his gravestone. Yeah, I and so so the desperation there is my God, I've never that's the one piece I can't
1: find, and it's arguably the most important piece in all the sports. And the way I look at it is, a bad break ruined this franchise's chance of going to the Super Bowl in 2016 or 2017. And that, Zimmer that, knows that that, too. that that was the peak. And so when we talk about Spielman not being able to find a quarterback, I always balk because I think I think they found one that got them to eleven and five and could have done better than Case Keenum, probably even. Uh, did last year with that same team and probably was in line to have them be even better than they were and make up for the offensive line issues in 2016, but that quarterback's knee fell apart. And
3: and guess what, though? When it comes to Spielman, that increased the desperation.
1: That's what, I, he yes, knew, that's what I mean. Because he
3: knew that, and that's where bad luck kicks in. Because this is I mean. the same guy who went and got pondered. This is the same guy that thought, thought Josh Freeman might solve his problems. So
1: all the mistakes they make, or for the most part, are all out of desperation. And now a lot of people like to Laquan Treadwell coming out, but they were desperate to find another wide receiver to help Teddy. So they draft Treadwell and he ends up busting. They are desperate to fix their offensive line. So they sign Alex Boone to a preposterous contract that ends up blowing up in their face. They overpay Riley Reef. He's been okay, but he's he makes way too much money to just be okay. Like there's a lot of moves here. And the Sam Bradford one is the ultimate move until Kirk Cousins is... Uh-oh, we have expectations, and Teddy went down, and we can't play Sean Hill. And they had no backup. Right. So, yep. we've got to go crazy and blow a first-round pick. Well, now you don't have that player on on a rookie contract. And now that player is pretty good for Philadelphia. Although I know he got hurt this year, but like Derek Barnett, he's good. And the same thing goes for signing Kirk Cousins. It's the desperation that expectations causes that's put them in this situation. So, that's why my solution to the offseason is, hey, if this is how it's going to be, then go crazy then go nuts then go full desperation and give Kirk Cousins everything you have so we can never say that it was the offensive lines fault. we can never say it was a number three receiver we can never say it was because Delvin Cook had a hammy that year make it so if they lose it it was because of Kirk Cousins and that's it or it was at least you did everything you possibly could to fill around him or is there
3: another option
1: here is there a door B that would
3: take enormous gonads to actually go behind, but if you do, it might work for your franchise?
2: Mackie and Judd will return shortly. Just a reminder, this station does not endorse this. On 1500 ESPN. Live from the TCL Broadcast Studios. Please keep working during the following announcement. Mackie and Judd are back on 1500 ESPN.
1: Kyler Murray runs it. He's got to get out of bounds. Murray still moving. Wow! Look at the speed! Kyler Murray touchdown! Oh you! 67 yards!
3: So Matthew Collar, Kyler Murray announced this afternoon, not surprising at all, that although his rights in baseball are owned by the Oakland A's, and that included a $4.66 million signing bonus, he has submitted paperwork and will declare for the National Football League draft. Can I throw a potentially hot take past you when it comes to Kyler Murray and tie it into the Vikings? You certainly can. If the Arizona Cardinals, if Kings, if Kingsbury, who said at in his Texas Tech days this past year that he would draft Kyler Murray first if he had the pick, which he now does, if the Arizona Cardinals decide to go down that path, what would you think about the Vikings pursuing Josh Rosen, making a trade for him, bringing him here as probably a backup, at least for part of 2019, to Kirk Cousins, but then having your quarterback of the future locked in, and by the way, a few years left on his rookie deal, which means when Cousins is gone, your quarterback for at least a couple of years is still pretty cheap.
1: From the perspective of the Arizona Cardinals, I think that that would be a horrendous idea. Okay. If you judge Josh Rosen on what he had in Arizona, then you might as well have gotten rid of Jared Goff after his first year with the Rams. Or Eli Manning when he played for the Giants. Or Peyton Manning when he played for the Colts. You do not judge rookie quarterbacks on their very first season because that's how you make huge mistakes. It takes a while for a rookie quarterback, and when they have nothing around them, zero, they had old Larry Fitzgerald, no other wide receivers, no running game, an offensive line that is so bad... (laughs) They picked up a guy from the Vikings practice squad and started him. This guy was on—Colby Gossett was not on the freaking roster for the Vikings, and this team put him in at left guard to start. Hey, times are tough, okay. That is how bad they were. So if you're going to bail on Josh Rosen because he, and I agree with he you played so poorly, this. that would be insane. But it's a much better idea for the Arizona Cardinals to trade out of that pick, mm-hmm. trade down to whoever is desperate, and then take, pick at 5th or pick at 8th or whatever and get a bunch of other picks because they've got a 5-year type of thing there, a 4-year type of rebuild where they need to get rid of the old money, get in new players, uh, entirely revamp the roster around Rosen, who I love as a prospect. I think he's a very smart quarterback, that he's great with his feet, that he could throw the deep ball. It's just, it was we saw him against the Vikings. He, he just had no shot. And then they change offensive coordinators on the guy in the middle of the season. But let's say that Kingsbury is so convinced that Kyler Murray is the thing and he's the franchise changer. Uh, It would be extremely bold for the Vikings to do that, to to trade for somebody like that to be the successor to Kirk Cousins. But you're essentially punting on the Kirk Cousins era right there. You're, You're essentially saying, well, we're definitely getting rid of you, so... Guess play out the next two years, you know, right? I mean, it, it, it just yes, screams, that's what I you're would. not sticking around, and I don't know But it's how... a short-term contract, so you could do it. We're,
3: we're talking, you could. We're talking about a franchise that needs to solve a problem, preferably for 10 years. Cousins I, is not the answer to
1: that. The way I look at it is, these next two years, you have to try to win. Because there's just too much talent to tank. You would have, you don't have much talent. You'd have to get rid of on this team. You'd have you have two elite wide receivers. You've got one of the best defensive ends in the league. You've got two good cornerbacks. You've got a player of the year defensive safety. I mean, last year he was very close to winning Defensive Player of the Year, Harrison Smith. You can't just dump all that talent and go 0-16 oh, or something. You, you can't do that. You can in 2020. So, so you have to, maybe by 2020 you start to take apart the roster and reset it after Kirk Cousins. But over these next few years, you have to do everything you can to stack up around him. So if you're making a trade, it should be trading the first-round pick for a wide receiver or a guard or someone who can help you. Or, I mean, even thought about a tackle too with i mean riley reef has been okay i but would look it's to not a
3: game changer i would if i was given controls to that old line i would look long and hard at what can i
1: do at left tackle absolutely it's the number one position still i think we far. get
3: two. now the guards were bad and, and i'd like to improve there but when i'm talking about getting an anchor to that line an, an anchor somebody who i perceive to be the leader and best player on that line I damn sure want that to be if I can make it this guy my left tackle. And
1: and I know what people are going to say when I bring up Kansas City is Mahomes has Patrick uh, pocket presence. I get that. He does. You're right. But when you look at how his offensive line is set up, the tackles are good and the guards are awful and they find a way to work around it. Mitchell Swart, missile Swartz, their right tackle is one of the five best right tackles in the NFL and their other guy Eric Fisher was a top draft pick and his it's very good. He's not elite or anything, but like they've got these tackle positions locked down and they spent some money on guards and it didn't work out. Remember Brian Witzman who came to the Vikings for like a week and yeah. then they cut him. Yeah, He was their starting guard last year Right. when Alex Smith had the best passer rating in the league. They've just been filling in guards because they don't see them as quite as valuable as tackles. So if I know that all the focus is on, how can you replace Mike Remmers? Well, you know that the guards in 2017 for the Vikings weren't that great either, and they still found a way. I mean, okay, Nick Easton, but he got hurt.
3: Yeah, they have got to be competent, but they don't have to be great. Right. But if I, but if I, had they weren't choice, competent
1: this year. There's no question well, and, about
3: that. And Compton was to have him actually start was awful. Not fair. That was, that was not fair n- to that never, team. Yeah, never the plan. Yeah, so I agree with you that the Vikings need to be all in for 2019. I think that that's huge. If they do not succeed, I think for the most part, everybody's gone. Yeah. And at that point in time, I tell Kirk, Kirk, you're going to make a lot, and and we appreciate what you tried to do. Didn't succeed, but tried to do. But 2020, we're not going to be good. And Trevor Lawrence is my guy.
1: And when you look at, and you can't you can't
3: tank like basketball yeah. does. But what you can do is strip apart the roster enough yep. to say we have at some point in time we have to hit a reset button. And at some point too, this franchise needs to find a quarterback who we're not like, oh, this is great for two years or something. You need to find a quarterback who you can say that's going to be the quarterback for eight to ten years.
1: And, and this is the exact reason to go nuts. Uh, Tampa Bay might be your sort of model for this in a way. Now, it didn't work out with Jameis Winston because he's a scumbag. But um, when it comes to how they tried to sort of go all in and win and it didn't work and then they tore it apart and lost on purpose and I believe it was the last game of the season where they took starters out to make sure they drafted number 1 to get Jameis Winston. By the way, that's... Yeah, right. No, absolutely. Tanking in sports? Like, don't you wish the Minnesota Wild tanked here or there to get maybe, like, Patrick Line or something?
3: They seem to be trying sometimes.
1: Um, but that that's the timeline. This is how it has to be. So when you're talking about this, well, if they traded Josh Rosen, I don't think the Vikings could be in on that. I think the next two years, but especially this year, you have to do everything you can to win. And if you don't, then you're talking about getting into tank land post-Kirk Cousins. But even then, it's hard to get it to match up to get one of those top quarterback prospects. What is it, 2021? Yes. I mean it's hard He'll be to,
3: eligible 2021 but
1: you, when you look at the the core of their defense Xavier Rhodes is getting older yes and Anthony Barr might not be here Harrison and Smith Linval not joseph kid. yeah do not underrate Linval Joseph I don't think anyone here does but his role in all this he's getting to be in his 30s yep there is that timeline there if you set that up yes. to totally hit the reset button then but for now it's everything should be how can you go from the 23rd best offense in scoring percentage to in the top 10. To have your team be actually competitive. And the other question that's going
3: to play itself out here eventually, too, is this. And and the answer to me is not yet completely clear, Collar. Are coaches like Zimmer going to have a place as much in the future? Are guys like that going to be considered outstanding coordinators, but this will become or is becoming such an offensive league that that's the starting place?
1: That's a hard question because... But I think it's going to become clear within the next couple of years. Well, when you look at New England, though, they've got a, a Zimmer... But, I never, t- but you can't look at them. But, but you can you because can't. That's because, because it's one of the best defensive coaches of all time as the head coach. And on his offensive side, McDaniels was a terrible head coach, but he's a heck of an offensive coordinator. Yes, he is. So he's got this great offensive coordinator... And he's got this great quarterback, of course, and that's one of the main reasons he wins. So I'm not saying that Tom Brady doesn't have anything to do with it. He has everything to do with it. It's just that I don't think that there's some sort of model of well, you must be like Sean McVay to get there. You must be because I mean, well, Andy Reid, how old is he? And I know he's an offensive coach, but it's not. You don't need the the 60s, young Sean McVay. And he's changed. You need someone who's dynamic and he's willing changed, to change. Though. I don't know that it has to be an offensive coach in order to win. I think it just has to be someone who has a great offensive mind, and that's what I'm getting at with Josh McDaniels. A great offensive mind is your offensive coordinator, some consistency, which they have had with McDaniels, aside from his short stint as the Broncos head coach. I think that's and helped. Colts too. Don't, helped don't forget, he
3: took the job for at least half hour.
1: <laughs> yeah, a half hour before he decided to quit. Um, but no, I, I I think that a coach like Zimmer can win, and I I also look at it like he gets painted a little bit unfairly when it comes to well, he wants to run the ball. He wants to run the ball. Like I think that's a comment about the quarterback. No, but it's, I.
3: But don't don't you think it's pretty clear to me that his desire to be involved in, in offense, besides critiquing it, is very small. Yeah, and so the question to me is: Can that type of coach succeed long term in a league that's morphing itself so much towards offensive
1: success, where everyone steals your know. coordinator? I mean, that's the, that's the big problem. Correct, you'll is... never keep them. Right, Stefansky. If Stefansky successful, he's gone. But you really only need to succeed one year and have it really work. And last year was their year with Pat Shermer. But as far as consistency, yeah, that's very tough because every new offensive coordinator wants to come in and change things, whereas Andy Reid's been running the same stuff in Kansas City. If Patrick Mahomes had had to learn a whole new offense, it would have been pretty darn tough. But instead, he just handed it over to Eric Bieniemy, who is the next guy in line to be the offensive coordinator, and they made it work. So I understand what, what you're getting at with there, and consistency is easier if you're an offensive head coach.
2: Don't go anywhere. More Mackie and Judd coming up next. Just hold your ass right there. On 1500 ESPN. Live from the TCL Broadcast Studios, Mackie and Judd
0: are back.
1: Come on, there's so much to do. On
0: 1500 ESPN. All right, quick update on traffic here. We've got a stalled vehicle, 94 westbound in Minneapolis between Cedar Avenue and Highway 55, and a lane is blocked in that area because of that, and also Highway 100 northbound. we got some debris on the roadway in St. Louis Park between Minnetonka Boulevard, And Cedar Lake Road may be causing some slowdowns in that area. So, otherwise, everything else moving smoothly around the Metro, Judd. Breeze under center, drops back, he fakes, he's going to throw into the back corner of the end zone. Caught! Keith Kirkwood! Keith Kirkwood checks in and a two-yard scoring strike on fourth down for the New Orleans Saints, their second conversion of the drive. Breeze drops back, throws, end zone, touchdown! Mike Thomas from two yards out, in the Saints take their first lead of the day.
3: So, Matthew Collar, these young whippersnappers, the McVeighs and the McVeigh tree of guys, all in their 30s, offensive geniuses, all get, getting head coaching jobs. If you ever knew Sean McVeigh, a job is yours. They all take a backseat to an old guy like me who remembers really well when none other than Sean Payton was that guy. When <laughs> yes. Sean Payton was the offensive—and you know what? Sean Payton is a first-class, world-class jerk. I think he's probably a terrible guy. But offensively, and as far as having guts, I loved yesterday the fake punt. Fourth down, fake punt. Sean Payton has... Football people are so ordinarily ingrained by his age, and that's too risky, right? Kick the field goal. Don't do this. Don't do that. Sean Payton doesn't care.
1: Sean Payton looks at things and says, what the hell? And I love that about him. He is the one that had a wide receiver throw a pass in the divisional game last year, which I thought was one of the most insane things I've ever seen. He does like to occasionally take the ball out of Drew Brees' hands to do something wacky. Uh, But going forward on fourth down there, we saw throughout the year... Twitter, Vikings Twitter, football Twitter is always yelling at these coaches to manage games better and go for it on fourth down and be more aggressive. And we saw both the older gentleman in Sean Payton and the younger gentleman in Sean McVay both succeed on fourth downs, going for it and, and win those games. And uh, I do think Mike Zimmer overall has been pretty good at that. But, mm-hmm. I mean, we are slowly seeing a lot of the things that work show up more often. Higher percentage of play actions all throughout the league. We've known for a very long time that play actions generally work better than not play actions. And teams were using them 20% of the time, one of every five plays. Now the Rams use them 35% of the time.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: I mean, they're using it. If it's not third down, it's like every pass play is a play action. And that goes to the numbers. And now we're seeing teams go for it on fourth down if they're on the other side of the field because – it's a pretty good shot or when you're in the red zone this this was maddening to me when the colts decided to kick a field goal to get themselves down two <laughs> scores yeah, you're like anything. you realize you're playing the chiefs right like the number one scoring offense in the league you realize you might want to score a touchdown here instead of the whole two scores well great two scores but you got to get you have to make up two touchdowns on the best offense in football you better score a touchdown man and uh i was surprised actually because Frank Reich had made his bones a little bit with the fourth down decision against Houston, you remember that, yeah. And, every, and and they wrote articles about how it brought the team together and all that stuff. And then he gets conservative. Oh, he was and,
3: he was scared. Yeah, that yeah. game
1: they were dead. They I, took the field and they were dead. I did think it would have been funny if he had had if his team had had some massive comeback because of because he's Frank Reich, but, um, yes, I thought I, you know, and that's one of the bigger points about the age of your coach and being modern and that sort of thing. Mike Zimmer has done with the Vikings defense, what these coaches have done with offense. Mm -hmm. It's just that it does not matter. And it never really has that. You're pretty good on defense I went through the other, last night for all the folks who think that the league has changed and looked at all the Super Bowl winners in the '70s. The worst offense ranked sixth in scoring. It's always been this way, right? Like it's nice to have a good defense, and, and, but and that's why my question to you is: Does being ahead of the curve on defense win you championships or just make you good? The Vikings are good. I think they've been good. That being ahead of the curve on defense, just ahead of the curve, yep, doesn't do a ton for you. Being elite at defense does put you in that conversation like it did with Chicago because their offense was mediocre overall. But if you're talking about being fourth, being seventh, Mm -hmm. something like that, it's just not going to help you if you're 23rd in passing efficiency. TCL
3: Broadcast Studios take a break. Come back. Kevin Seifert, ESPN, who is in New Orleans for yesterday's game, joins next
2: don't go anywhere assume the position more Mackie and Judd coming up next on 1500 ESPN
3: at the Home Depot we have the tools for you to give the gift of a smarter home with savings on top brands like the Google Hub a command center for your smart devices that raises the IQ of your entire home or the Nest learning thermostat that helps you conserve energy and save on your bill and if you don't know what to get gift cards are a smart gift no matter what they get So this year, gift smarter with savings on tools to make your holiday magic. The Home Depot, how doers get more done.
0: Did you know Nissan EVs have traveled
3: 8 billion miles? Just a quick trip to Pluto and back. And what did we learn along the way? Well, that an EV can take on the world, like the Nissan LEAF.
0: It can move racing forward and take your breath away, like the all-new Nissan Aria. We learned to make EVs that electrify. 8 billion miles driven by LEAF owners globally since 2010. ARIA not yet available for purchase. Expected availability late fall. Subject to change.